this is actually the last of the parables that we have. I'm making that caveat because he may have told stories after this that we just don't have. But it is the last parable that we have in the Gospels. And you know that 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 changes the way that we treat it, the way that we look at it. Because the things that you say when you know that your time is short with somebody are the things that are very important to you to get across to them. So like in John 14, 15, 16, and 17, which is all one long conversation they had with Jesus, just continually in different settings, but all just as they were walking and going and the events were unfolding, he just keeps talking, keeps talking. It's right after this. Not very long at all. That whole little section is his words to the apostles about how the Spirit would come and would guide them into all truth, how the Spirit would work through them and and how he would be their comforter and how he would be ours. And how He would guide us. And how He would comfort us. Sometimes we try to say, well, now He doesn't do that anymore. But that's just because we're not paying attention, really. The Spirit most assuredly does guide us. Um, but it was, it was, we know then, one of the most important things He wanted them to know. Which means it ought to be one of the most important things for us to know. I think we approach this parable this way. It's among the last things that He taught in that more formal way as he was teaching people at the temple grounds and around town and at tables and in homes. And he wanted them to know this. And he wants us to know this. It's a parable that, that makes us uncomfortable. And I think increasingly uncomfortable as time goes on because what we do is we, we look at the gospel of, of grace, which is what it is, and we'll talk about that in a minute, and so then we, we want to purge our vocabulary of anything that we think is incompatible with grace. So, parables and teachings, even from Jesus Himself, about things like judgment, we get, yeah, yeah, you know, I, we get real uncomfortable about that. We also, uh, not related to grace, we sometimes want to just get rid of the discomfort we feel when we're talking to each other about things like this. Because we don't really always know the best way to handle really serious topics like there really is going to be a judgment that God really does look at our hearts. He really does lay all those things bare. That's the way Scripture describes it. Like the sun comes out, truth will come out of who we are and, and what we've done and the things that we've said. And God will look at us and He will make His judgment about where we belong for eternity. See, I know it's uncomfortable because some of you are already like, that is not what I signed up for this morning. I knew it. I knew he was going to do that. No, but it's real and it's true and it's from the mouth of Jesus. And that's the issue, right? It's Jesus talking. This isn't, this isn't me or you or, or a publisher that put this on paper. This is the heart of God. So keep that in mind that... I'm aware of how uncomfortable you may be. Uh, keep also in mind, it's never my job to make you more comfortable once you're uncomfortable, so it's just sorry. No, that's not entirely true. That's not entirely true, is it? But I am going to make you wait, so we'll get there. We'll get there. But in this, in this parable and around this parable are images of 
the judgment at the second coming of Christ. And so that is actually the scene for when he tells this. And the beginning of what he says is not part of the parable. It's the why he is telling the parable. So I'm actually going to look at that first. We've kind of looked at context second most of the time, not all the time, as we've looked at these. But the scene is so important to this one, we're not going to wait. So look at the first few verses here at, at what is said. Verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Before Him will be gathered all the nations and He will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And He will place the sheep on His right, but the goats on His left. Now I'm going to stop there because now He starts to get into the parable of the sheep and the goats. And I want us to look first at the scene. Okay, so don't get distracted by by sheep. Already, Curly and I are distracted. I'm going to distract you for a second. Curly and I are distracted. I'm just going to get out of the way, right? And let the elephant in the room move on. I was telling him the story about a friend of mine who is now singing with the angels and maybe sings the same way or not. I don't know, all right? But uh, a friend of mine who, you know how sometimes you get, I do this, you do this, you get a little bit of a, of a brado. It's not always on purpose. Sometimes it's allergies. Uh, but it happens. Well, sometimes, and Curly, Curly can tell you which muscle that is in the diaphragm and all of that, that is a problem. He was giving me a lesson there. But uh, sometimes, as Curly was saying at coffee the other day, people start to lose control of that. And, you know, when they control, maybe you're one of these, we are not knocking you, okay? We're not. We're not. Because it's just physiology. But uh, my friend would have a lot of vibrato, Okay. Not just like a, uh, like, like that sort of a thing, you know. And I had told my mother about this. And I, I said, now, be careful, because we were going to have an area-wide sing. This was up in New York, and she was visiting. And area-wide sing. And so this guy is supposed to be there, and he's going to lead singing. And I'm just going to warn you that sometimes... It gets a little bit like some of you are old enough to remember on Saturday Night Live when they had the Goat Boy skit. And I uh, see, I know that was a test. Uh, the, the, all of you need to repent for watching it. The, the Goat Boy skit was this guy who would interview people and he, he would just start going into this goat thing while he was talking. So he would say, how are you? That sort of a thing, right? Well, this guy would lead singing like that. Good man, not knocking him. Love the guy, okay? He was like... He was from Mississippi, but he was in New York. So he was like a Mississippian in New York, Guy Bob, basically, except that he led singing. Although I heard rumors that Guy Bob used to lead singing a long time ago. We just thought, didn't all get to see it, but that's what I heard. Anyway, uh, I heard that in Cambodia, so the world knows. Uh, this guy would start singing, and it would do that. So you might have, the Lord's my shepherd. You see what I mean? You see what I mean? He gets up. Yeah, I know. He gets up. And my mom and I are like, okay, don't, don't get tickled, which is hard. Okay, don't do it. He gets up and he says, you know, turn to whatever the page number was. And it was, we are the sheep and the Lord is our shepherd. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. My mom's back there. She's like, <laughs> so just so you know, that's in our heads. Okay. And I read, I read ahead, and I promise you, nowhere in here does it say you go to hell for laughing at that. So you're fine. It's not in there. 
it's not in there. <laughs> and aren't we? I'm so glad. <laughs> we are saved by grace through faith, not by our ability to withhold things like that. Let's get back on track. So what he does is he introduces this story with what is to come. And look at how he talks about his, his coming. And it, because we get details. We actually know some things because of what Jesus said about when He's coming. He says first, when He comes in all His glory. That's how He plans to come. And we don't even understand all of that. What in the world... Use your imaginations. That's why I didn't use a picture on this slide. Use your imagination. What does it look like for Jesus to come? Not just in glory. Maybe that you can imagine. In all His glory. We don't even know what to look for, do we? But I guarantee you, no one will mistake it for aliens. No one will mistake it for the explosion of a nuclear bomb. Nobody's going to mistake this thing for some comet hurtling at us through space. Because you know what those things don't have? Glory. Those are going to look like a little black cat compared to the Statue of Liberty fireworks on the 4th of July in comparison with the glory with which Jesus will come. He came so humbly and quietly and softly as a baby in the flesh. But that will not be the way He returns. You will know who that is. You will know what is happening. And you will know why. Because you're a Christian, right? And it's not something to be afraid of. The word He uses is not He will come in all His terror, but in all His glory. Just think of what that could be and what that may look like and sound like. Then, you know, put a few exponents out there on that thing because it's going to be incredible. Can't even imagine it. Can't even imagine. And He says, and I'm going to bring my posse with me. The angels, they'll be there. It'll be fine. They'll be with me. And what do they even look like? Go do a Google of biblically accurate Angel, I'm going to freak you out, okay? Because the one in, uh, described in, in Ezekiel sounds like a gyroscope with four wings, six wings. It looks crazy looking thing depending on which place you're looking at. Eyes all over. Freaky, right? Freaky. But awesome. But they will pale in comparison. They will be riding the coattails of the glory of Christ when He comes. Hey, they will just seem like, you know, they're just holding the door by comparison. He will be sitting on His glorious throne. Why does He say that? Because when we think of somebody coming, we don't picture them sitting down, okay? On, what, on a floating chair? It's not His point. Why is He sitting on His throne? He's sitting because He's passing judgment just as a king would have done in their world. Sitting on a throne of authority and reign. He says this to show when He comes, He comes not as a visitor or a guest. He comes as the king who returns. Like in the parable He told right before this. And it will be so obvious His authority and His reign. And He wants us to frame this parable with that as our image. Him in authority reigning and passing His judgment. Now, judgment is not always negative. That depends on how you've lived, right? And who you are and, and, and how He 
judges that. So it's positive or negative depending on things that we'll look at here in a minute. We've talked about before, but that's the image he wants us to have. And then he says before him, he will gather all the nations of the world. There will be no one exempt. Okay, there's not going to be anybody. This is how we know that in Matthew and in Luke, when he talks about uh, the destruction of Jerusalem, sometimes people confuse that with the second coming of Christ. One of the ways we know that's not what he's talking about in one of those sections and is one, it wasn't the question they had asked him, and he's answering the question they had asked. And two, he says, You'll, I want you at that time to flee to the mountains. If he's talking about the judgment of, of the temple in Jerusalem in AD 70, then obviously going to the mountains saves your life. And that is what happened. A lot of the Christians at that time ran to the mountains and hid and it saved their life because they listened to Jesus. Probably a lesson there, right? But hiding in the mountains will do you no good when Jesus comes. That's how you know that's not what he's talking about. Because what? First off, why would a Christian hide? When Jesus comes to take us home, why in the world would you be hiding? Hop on that bus and go. That's why, that's why people sing that song, right? So get, don't hide, get. He gathers all the nations before him and he passes judgment. There will be no one left out of this. Every one of us will stand before the Lord. Again, is that good or bad? Well, that's, that's actually up to you, isn't it? It's entirely up to you. It doesn't have to be that way. But it will happen regardless. Now, we'll get to a little bit of the Jesus attitude and all that here in a second because that's really important. Okay, At this point, we might be going, well, that sounds horrible. We'll understand it better in a moment. Not in the by and by. Not like the song. We'll understand it better just in a moment. But first, what does he say he's going to do? He will separate people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. So what's he going to do? We call that culling, don't we? He's going to call the herd. And those of you who are familiar with that, I don't think I have to explain that to too many people in this room, right? You know that means he's going to do exactly what Jesus is saying here. He's going to separate them out. The sheep from the goats, some to the left, some to the right. Those who are rising to glory to share what he's just brought down or those who will not, to put it mildly, right? Let's read the parable. Verse 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison. And you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them. Truly, I say to you, as you did, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on the left, depart from me, you cursed and into, it, or into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, you didn't clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they, will also answer, they also will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and not minister to you? And then he will answer them, saying, Truly, I say to you, 
as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. All right. How many words there did Jesus leave minced, do you think? Is it hard to understand the parable? This is not hard to understand. I don't think at all. Uh, but we still wrestle, don't we? And I don't know why we wrestle, but we wrestle. All different kinds of reasons we look at this and go, well, but da 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 Why? What if we just looked at this and said, it's Jesus. He probably knows what He's talking about. What if we just respected the authority represented by the throne on which He will return? What if we saw it not as, well, that's just mean, and actually just saw it as, but what was He trying to tell them? You think Jesus enjoyed the second half of this parable? Do you think at any moment He said, and I can't wait after that part? Or do you think the second half of the parable breaks his heart? We know it does. He would stand on a hill outside Jerusalem and look at the city. And he would say, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. And he goes on and it's, it's the Lord of heaven saying, why? He knows why. But why? If I had done the miracles in Tyre and Sidon, and they knew who that was, these were ultra-rebellious cities against God, judged by God hundreds of years before, but ruins that they were very familiar with passing by. So if, I, if I had done there what I did in your midst, they would have repented a long time ago. They would have listened. But woe to you. You think he enjoyed saying that? He didn't. He said, I long to gather you, what, for judgment? No, for reward. I long to gather you like a hen gathers her chicks. That's his heart. That's what he wanted. So when he comes to this story, he doesn't tell it in some sort of a triumphal, and I am going to just leave you all a smoking hole. He comes to this moment and says, it doesn't have to be this way. But I can't make you. It is God's will that you choose. Choose very carefully. Choose wisely. This is why he says it. Because he knows that it's coming. And I want to look at a couple of passage, passages about this. I'm going to skip this because I said it already. Okay? I don't always remember to click. You know me well enough to know that. This is why he actually comes. But I'm not making this up. So in your Bible, turn over to John chapter 3. I think you know where that is, right? John 3.16. Not reading this because it's just, you know, easy. Oh, let's just go to John 3.16. I want to read it because we usually skip John 3.17. We usually skip this passage. And I don't know why we don't have everybody memorize this just as much when they're little kids. Because we really need this. They go together. They dovetail. They're not meant to be separated. They're all of Jesus' answer. So He's having this conversation with Nicodemus about what it means to be born again and why. And when He explains it, this is His explanation. For God so loved the world 
So what's His motive then? We know it right off the bat. It's love. This is why He's there. He says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. What does He want? This. But He goes on. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world. And you go, well, we just read a story where He said, I know, let's pay attention. God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Actually, let's keep going. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and the people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But the problem is, they're going to be. That's the problem, right? They're going to be exposed. Now, again, why is God saying this? Why is Jesus, the Son of God, telling Nicodemus this? Why does He want us to know this? Go back to 3 and 16 and 17. He doesn't say it to say so there. He says it so that we'll be rescued before that happens. He wants us to know better. He wants us to live better, to believe better, to experience life here and in eternity better. But not just better like, you know, real butter is better than margarine. And it is. Okay? This is light and darkness. It is heaven and hell. We don't like to talk about it, but it's just the truth. It is what it is. It, it is what it is. I don't say that very often, but it is what it is. Okay? It just is. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light. And why do they hate the light? He said, because they don't want to be, they don't want it exposed. We all can relate to that. Can we not all relate to that? Because who's he talking about? Well, he's talking about the wicked. Yeah, who's he talking about? Us without Jesus. And he says, you don't like people to know. No, nobody does. Why would anybody want that? Aren't you glad Jesus washes that list away? And Jesus washes that list away. But isn't there even more to it than that? There is. We'll get to that. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Why did he come? And he's honest. That last one I had to add. I actually took that off at one point. Went, no, I've got to put that back. He came honestly. There is a judgment. We are accountable. What we do, it really matters. The things we say matter. The things we don't do and that we don't say, those things matter. He's being honest is what he's being in the parable. This will happen. Again, the scene of judgment was before he starts telling a parable. We can't call that symbolic at all. He's saying this, this is going to happen. But what does he want you to know about it and why? It's this. How will you be on that day? Because this is what he actually wants. He wants you to be saved. 
He wants you to know what grace really is. We're going to take the time real quick to look at each of these passages. So get out your Bible or your your phone, whatever it is that you use. And it's a judgment-free zone. We really don't care which way you do it, as as long as you're in the Word of God. Okay? So, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. This is what Paul says to the church at Ephesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus. I couldn't stop here either. For good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in Him. And isn't this the point of the whole parable? We are saved by grace through faith. That's what the standard of judgment will be. Do you believe in Him? All right. Come on in. You say, yeah, but He said we've got to feed people. Yeah, you know why? Because saved people feed people. He said we've got to love our neighbor. Yeah, because saved people love their neighbor. Why do they do that? Let's keep going. Matthew 25, 30. Oh, that's the parable, isn't it? That is it. Because Jesus said to... He said it's going to matter. He's going to check our work. You say, well, then that would make it sound like I'm saved by my works. And you just read that we were not. No, you weren't saved by your works. But you know what, what did happen? You were saved to work. Right? We were saved to reflect the life of Jesus Christ a billion times over. Over and over and over again every time somebody's reborn. They get to rise up and live Jesus again. Every time. With Him and for Him. Created in His image to do what? Created in Christ Jesus to do what? Good works which God has been working on. It says beforehand. Before what? Since before the creation of the world. So that we could walk in them. This is His will for us. And it's the why. Because He wants you to be part of the glory that He's going to come with. And then He wants to share that with you in eternity. Look at uh, Mark chapter 9, verse 41. Short passage, but powerful. It speaks to our attitude a bit. Mark 9, 41. <clears throat> it would help if I was in 9, not 10. <laughs> he says this. Actually, you know, let me go back to verse 38. I'm just going to do that all morning. John said to him, Teacher... We saw someone casting out demons in your name. Oh, good night. I could have a whole other sermon, but I won't. I won't. Not this morning. And we tried to stop him, but it's really hard. It's really hard. We tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, do not stop him, for no one does a mighty work in my name will be able to soon afterwards speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. Another sermon. For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. And he's not talking to his disciples at that point. He's talking, or he is, but he's not talking about them. He's talking about these other people. He says, listen, they helped you. Guess where that goes? Sheep and goats. Can you tell which way he's going to call? They're working in His name, serving in His name, doing in His name, praising in His name, helping in His name, loving in His name. What did He say He was going to... Oh, yeah. So He tells them, you leave them alone. Bonus lesson. You leave them alone just because they don't wear your brand. They wear mine, He says. And it's proven by what they're doing. And they're not going to lose their reward. 
they might, they might lose you, but they aren't going to lose the reward. Be careful. Attitude. Where's the loyalty supposed to be? To our group. That's not what he said. To our brand. That's not what he said. To our non-denominational denomination. That's not what he said. To him. To his glory. To his honor. In his name. That's what matters. In his service. That's the why. If you're thinking, I don't know, James, you're reading too much into that. No, go back and read it again. You'll find I'm not reading nearly enough. Not nearly enough. There's a whole bunch more there. But, you know, only so much trouble per morning. That's my that's my quota. So let's go to the next one. (laughs) What's the other standard? Come follow me. Isn't that what he says all the time? Come and follow me. Who who lost out on Jesus? Only the people who didn't. Whose choice was it whenever they didn't? Theirs. Whose choice is it when we don't? Ours. But it's, it's not the choice He wants us to make. He says, come, I want you to be with me. I want you to know eternity. And I'm going to give you every possible opportunity here to understand how we end up together in heaven and in eternity and in life and in the new heavens and the new earth. I'm going to give you all of that. He's not making it hard, is He? Mm-mm. That's our job. <laughs> it seems to be that that would be our job. Let's look at 1 John 1, 5 to 7. Favorite verse of mine, passage of mine. Because this will rock your world if you've grown up in any sort of a legalistic background. I do believe part of the church's job in our day and age is to free people from shackles, and in some of it's sin, and some of it's sin in Jesus' name. You know? So we need to find these freedom passages. Look at this one. This is the message we have heard from Him and proclaim to you that God is light and in Him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, that's come follow me. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, We have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. You all know I'm going to hit on this. I have to. Cleanses is a verb tense of ongoing nature. We do not constantly, every time we make a mistake, fall in and out of Christ. Jesus constantly bathes us in Christ. What a blessing that is to know that at every moment he is saying, yeah, I saw that. Let's take care of it. And all you have to do, you don't earn it. It's totally a gift. All you have to do is just say, yeah, (laughs) yeah, I blew it. And then keep following. That's it. What are you following him into? Well, that's Matthew 25. You love your neighbor. You feed the hungry. You clothe the naked. You visit the sick. You minister to those who are in prison. You live like Jesus. Aren't you glad that it's that simple? Even if it is hard some days? We don't have to struggle with the what do I do. We don't have to worry about that. It's it's all so plain what to do. You know what else is plain? 
Go back and read the parable again, but this time not so worried about hell. He says, those people who are my people who followed, you know what they do? They follow me all the way home. He says to them, welcome. Come into your master's happiness, good and faithful servant. Is that not incredible? We're all going to know we didn't deserve to be there, right? Every one of us will know we didn't deserve to be there. And that's why we'll sing. It's why we'll church Christ people are going to get to jump and shout for the first time in their life. Okay? For the first time, you're going to be... Don't make that the first time, okay? But I, I get it. I get it because I am... I, church of Christ born and raised, okay? I get it. They made the ceilings lower in some buildings just to keep you from it. I'm, I'm convinced because they knew. So, I, I do get it. But our grace has such a deep purpose in recognizing all of that. As He saves us by grace and saves us and, and saves us and saves us and saves us and saves us, right? Over and over again from ourselves. It's not even just to get rid of the sin. I said I would come back to this. It's not just to get rid of a ledger that stands against us. That's important. It's not just to get us into eternal life. That's pretty important. He's making that pretty plain in this parable. But he's also making plain in the parable it's about a whole lot more than that. We're not baptized into a waiting room. We are baptized into a purpose in Jesus Christ. Something that is bigger than us and greater than us and a love that spreads beyond us and a service that goes beyond us. That every day we have is now redeemed. That everything we do now has reason and value for eternity in the lives of the people around us. You've got places that you live and work and learn and play. And you may think that those are separate from what we do here. They never have been. Where you live and work and learn and play is where God does all these things. It's where He uses you to spread grace and a serious truth. So the people around you that you also don't want to see. Goat. Because goat will not mean greatest of all time. It's going to be something a whole lot worse. They're going to be the grumpiest of all time when all that happens. You, there's not a person in your life you should want to experience that. Not even the one you're maddest at this morning. Not a person in your life that God wants to experience that. He came to save us from that and to a sharing of His grace and His love in every action. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You. We thank You because we don't deserve any of this. Father, we thank You that Your Son was willing to come to the cross. Father, we pray we never make that just something we say. Help us to understand just how deeply He loved us. And Father, we thank You that You care enough about us to warn us when there are things that really can hurt us and harm us even eternally. And Father, we pray that You would really set on our hearts how real that is and how real is Your grace and Your mercy and Your compassion. Father, we pray that we make it real in the lives of the people that we're around this week. Give us opportunities. Give us eyes to see them. 
open mouths, open hearts, open hands. Help us to be Your Son to people who need Him. It's in Your Son's name that we pray. Amen.